Hello, and welcome back to All Rings Considered, a read-through of The Lord of the Rings. We are on episode 17, book 2, chapter 5, The Bridge of Khazad-dum. Alright, so, uh, it's a short chapter, short but sweet. Um, we start off with the company awakening... Oh, no, they're not... They're already awake. Never mind. <laughs> start I mean- off... <laughs> I'm now imagining that Harry and his this. friends have encountered <laughs> the snake. They, they found this tomb of Balin <laughs> and just took a quick nap. <laughs> Tolkien doesn't mention that, but as it's advanced readers, but you can if tell. you read between the lines, you can tell. <laughs> advanced readers will know. So yeah, they wake up from <laughs> their nap. We have a short chapter today. Uh, I'm keeping that in, by the way. Don't don't sit here and think you're getting out of this. <laughs> So in this chapter, um, no, I can't do it. <laughs> All right. So in this chapter, we have uh, the company still in Balin's tomb. Um, they find a a book that has been the record keeping of the dwarves' expedition back into uh, Moria. And Gandalf translates some of this. They are interrupted with a thundering boom that rings throughout the caverns. And actually, throughout the chapter, uh, we we hear this these rolling drums, drums in the deep. And so they are fleeing from, from orcs and trolls and something else. And they make it to... Uh, a pass to uh, a way out of the of the mountain and Gandalf fights a dark being called a Balrog. Um, Gandalf falls into a pit with the Balrog and the company leaves. It's only 12 pages long, action-packed. I, I found it helpful. We've mentioned this before in previous episodes, but this was one of those chapters where that Atlas of Middle-Earth book helped me a good bit in terms oh, of yeah. understanding the layout of these passages Tolkien was, was describing so highly recommend you pick that book up uh, you specifically Philip not anybody else but you I've got it right specifically here specifically need to no I'm kidding um, <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I, I always recommend uh, anybody reading The Lord of the Rings pick that book up because I think it will help you understand what's happening in this chapter a good bit Um, yeah like you said action packed I really love the suspense in this chapter and the drums and the boom booms it's kind of an experimental chapter yeah there are several pieces of it that are different uh in terms of its prose than than you know the the common chapter you have this segment where gandalf is reading he's reading a a book aloud um and it's kind of a weird back and forth between um what he's reading and what you know he's saying aloud and you have these doom doom boom throughout throughout the chapter and the paragraphs yeah what was that there's that one paragraph where the beats of the drum sort of interrupt in the lines uh, i think he only does that once but it does it does stand out as something pretty different from anything else we've seen in the book and i'm looking for the exact paragraph here oh the last paragraph the last paragraph uh, which I'll, I'll just read it for the audience here. This is a, a cool use of the drum beats that we've seen all chapter. They looked back. Dark yawned the archway of the gates under the mountain shadow. Faint and far beneath the earth rolled the slow drum beats. Doom. 
A thin black smoke trailed out. Nothing else was to be seen. The dale all around was empty. Doom. Grief at last wholly overcame them, and they wept long, some standing in silent, some cast upon the ground. Doom. Doom. The drumbeats faded. End of chapter. End of paragraph. Another classic paragraph ending. Classic. Um, and yeah, something just a different kind of vibe to, to the writing in this chapter. Let's see. Let's go through uh, the events of the chapter. Uh, see if anything thematic we want to pull out. Anything we want to talk about. Um, Charlie, anything written down for pre, for pre uh, Balrog, Balrog encounter, encounter? Not really. I just I like him reading that book and finding out what happened to the dwarves. And I really liked the line. I didn't. This was going to be my choice for favorite line, but then I changed it uh, last minute. But I really like the ending of that dwarf book Gandalf reads and the way it goes here it says uh, uh we cannot get out the end comes and then drums drums in the deep and Gandalf starts talking I wonder what that means the last thing written is in a trailing scrawl of elf letters they are coming there is nothing more yeah and then it's you know it's repeated too by Legolas a few paragraphs down well and yeah and Gimli because Legolas says they are coming, and Gimli says we cannot get out. It's the exact words in the book that they just read. I wonder thematically, I think, since I've had sort of the power of language on my mind these past couple chapters, uh, if there's something to the fact that that dwarf book, it says it was part of it at least, the part here at the end at least, was written in elvish characters, which Gimli says, oh, that was this particular dwarf, Ori. He wrote, he used the elvish characters. But presumably it's in dwarvish language. And so he must be using a foreign alphabet to Mm. transcribe his dwarven language. So I think that's kind of interesting. It's something to chew on and think about. Uh, There's all kinds of like cool real world parallels to that, right? From what Tolkien studied. So when the people of Northern Europe converted to Christianity, with that came using the Latin alphabet that we use today, right? So before that, they would have used runes and things, and they switched over to the Latin alphabet, but they kept their language. So when we look at like Old English or Old Norse, we see them now written mostly in Latin alphabet, but there would be a time they would have been in a whole different character set, which is, I don't know, I don't know, I can't think of any like meaning for this, at least not in the context of this chapter, but... Here, I'll go for the, you pass it to me, I'll All go right, for the go, layout. here you go, go for it. <laughs> Well, here we go. Um, well, so I think in this chapter, I think uh, um, obviously Gandalf is, uh, you know, the kind of the centerpiece. But we also see uh, a lot of really important things about Boromir um, and men as, you know, extension of him. So here we see a book that is a combination of uh, Elvish and, and, you know, and Dwarven, you know, culture. It's damaged. It's, you know, a almost like a eulogy. And in this chapter, um, we see both Legolas and Gimli failing in some way. Legolas and Gimli kind of repeat the sort of refrain of, um, oh, we're doomed. You yeah. know, uh, I mean, literally, they say they're coming. You know, we cannot get out. We talked about that. Um, but when the Balrog appears, Boromir is... So first, Gimli and Legolas. Legolas drops his, his arrow. Gimli drops down his axe so that he can cover his face, yeah. um, you know, out of fear. Uh, and Boromir rises to the challenge, right? not even with a weapon, but with, you know... Uh, and Aragorn kind of joins in because at the end, it's those two who stand at the 
end of the bridge while Gandalf's in the middle of it. They're the two who stand yeah. back, ready to go. Yeah. And I mean, so they are the only ones who have the courage in this chapter, besides Gandalf, of course, um, to face this, you know, unthinkable, dark evil. Yeah. And I think it has something to do with the role of uh, the races in Middle Earth. So do you, th- a couple of things, do you think then that the dwarves using Elvish characters is like reflecting the dwarves failing? Oh, no, I don't think that. I think that's maybe just sort of like a natural uh, way that like a world would yeah. be. Well, so cool. So a cool detail. That... Say that. Yeah. Just kind of like how you explained it just does. It does happen in the real world. Uh, that's just something that, you know, it's a cool detail of just like a reflection of of how actual languages and cultures might intermingle. But it's a combination of their t- two okay. cultures together. Uh, the other thing that I was going to say was that the bravery of the two men in this chapter, we can't overlook the fact that it's actually mostly out of, well, I shouldn't say mostly, it's at least partially out of ignorance. They don't know what a Balrog is. Legolas does because he's, mm, and he right. would actually be... Mm. The only one there who would have been alive last time one of these, I think, was seen. Maybe Gandalf. I'm actually not sure about that. But at the very least, Legolas, most likely. So he would know what that is. And he would be rightfully terrified. Uh, Gimli, at least, has heard of the legends of, of Durin's Bane. And that was the name of... That was what they called this particular right. Balrog, right? Since he was the one who drove them out in the first place. So he has that kind of in his mind. But to Aragorn and Boromir, neither of them would have been alive you know, millennia ago when a Balrog was last running around. And those myths of Durin's Bane, I, one, I doubt Barmir has heard of them. Maybe he has. And even if Aragorn has, they can't be as resonant as they are with someone like Gimli. So they're brave, yeah, but maybe it's because they don't know what they're up against here. Like Maybe there's, like, wisdom in what Legolas and Gimli are, how they're acting. Hmm. Uh, but maybe not. Maybe, But maybe that's, yeah, that's the a good benefit point. Of, being, of being human. Tolkien uh, has talked about, not so sure we've seen it yet in Lord of the Rings, but in other writings he's talked about men's mortality is a gift. It's not a bad thing. It's it's their unique gift from Eru, God himself. And uh, here's an example of it maybe benefiting them because they don't know what this Balrog is. They can actually show their bravery. Yeah, it's very similar to um, uh, Pippin yeah. in the end of Council of Elrond when his ignorance is, you know, uh, in some way, uh, allowing him to mm. volunteer for this quest. Although it's worth pointing out too, what undermine my point here: Aragorn and Boromir are no help against the Balrog, right? They don't do anything. They just no, not at all. A hey, Boromir yeah, is not even help against try, the troll, or really, almost just make just like show offy stands. They don't actually do anything, really. So, eh, maybe it's not. Well, I would. I would say that uh, at least, like from Tolkien's point of view, not so important whether or not they okay. were successful. Just, just them, the fact that they were willing, right? Yeah, I can buy that. Well, we're we so we've already, despite our attempt, our very meager attempt there to do pre-Balrog stuff, we're already just on the Balrog. Let's just talk about. It. I don't have anything else pre-Balrog. It's, like, there's nothing. We're like, on the bridge. Just, the Balrog's the centerpiece. That's the focus of the chapter. Um, fascinating, fascinating little creature here. Let's talk about the description of the Balrogs. This is what make, gets me thinking every time I read this chapter, is what, what the Balrog looks like. Or at least for me, what's interesting is how 
big he is. This is what I always take away is like the mysterious part of this chapter. Because you have these lines here where, well, I mean, if we look at the facts, we are told that the Balrog is able to enter the chamber of Mazarbul where Balin's tomb was. Okay, so he can't be, mm-hmm. like, if you know, if you think of a Peter Jackson's uh, movie version, it can't be, like, that big then, because he can get, he goes in a room, right? Okay, sure. So he's got to be not crazy giant, but he's definitely still bigger than, like, a person is. And the exact line is, it was like a great shadow in the middle of which was a dark form of man shape, maybe yet greater and a power and terror seemed to be in it and to go before it. Uh, That's all we get at first for the size of it. And then later though, when it comes to the bridge, it says it stepped forward slowly onto the bridge and suddenly it drew itself up to a great height and its wings were spread from wall to wall. Okay. So it's, drew itself to a great height and all of a sudden it's wings we can talk about the wings in a second because that's another eternal question sure yeah but yeah. they're apparently big <laughs> enough whatever they are to be spreading wall to wall here so now it sounds a lot bigger and even th- there's this line here where um it's it's like the the balrog is he stepped on the bridge and he's able to have a sword clash with gandalf who is kind of by description sort of at the middle of the bridge here and they have enough of a clash that the Balrog actually kind of falls back because then he, it says he, yeah, it says the Balrog fell back. And then it says later, a few lines down, with the bound, the Balrog leaped full upon the bridge as if it weren't full on the bridge before when it was at this like great height. So now we are starting to like sound like something bigger here than just a person. Because if it's a person, right. I mean, the side, the scale here just doesn't make any sense. But if it's a big thing, some kind of giant. It starts this this part to me starts making a bit more sense. So my take on this, I was reading it this time, I was trying to reconcile all this stuff. And my take on this really is that the Balrog, to me, it sounds like he can adjust his height. He maybe he can change. Absolutely. I would say I'm right there with you. I do not even see the Balrog as I go uh, maybe a step further. I don't see him as changing his physical size, but just he is not a physical being. I, I could definitely see that. For what it's worth, I was doing some research on this before the episode, and the Reader's Companion directed me to the History of Middle-Earth series by Christopher Tolkien, where he collected all of the drafts of The Lord of the Rings. And so if you go to the Treason of Isengard volume here, the quote they give is, The first version of the chapter, Tolkien describes the Balrog this way. He describes it as no more than man-high yet terror seemed to go before it. Okay, so pause right there. First draft of the chapter, the Balrog is definitely the height of a man, period. That's interesting to think about. But then it says against this, like I guess in the margin or something, Tolkien writes, alter description of Balrog. It seemed to be a man's shape, but its form could not be plainly discerned. It felt larger than it looked. Uh, Emphasis is his there. So it seems like Tolkien himself had in mind kind of what you're saying like to me that's a suggestion at least that the balrog might not have an actual the total physical form here and i mean to confound this too um tolkien uses you know rising to a full height as you know often as 
not to describe someone getting larger uh, physically, but but rising yeah. to their you know to the, you know fulfillment of their character. Gandalf, I think, at one point rises to his full height mm-hmm. somewhere in this uh, uh, in this chapter before um, yeah. when they were first being. Although I, I do think in this case it's not just that Be- because the exact line is it suddenly drew itself up to a great height and then it adds the the, clar- the qualify here of and its wings were spread from wall to wall it's definitely to me sounds like very physical like very much something's something's changed i think mm-hmm. when combined with the fact that his his movement on the bridge it just doesn't make sense unless he is pretty bigger than pretty much bigger than a man i don't think i do think you know like the peter jackson movie takes an extreme interpretation of have this, we brought up that movie yet is this the first time? it actually might be uh, our first time bringing up that movie yeah it's i mean it's appropriate i think he did movie. a great job with i mean a bunch of things but this scene in particular i think sticks out yeah. in a lot of minds of people who oh wait it's not the best scene but it's one of them for sure it's yeah it was definitely the scene i mentioned this on our episode of the movies uh it was definitely the scene when i first watched the movie that's what stuck out to me right away it's it, it was the scene that kind of sold me completely on on the movie it was for 11 year old charlie it was the most incredible thing i had ever seen like being in a movie theater and seeing that balrog crash on that bridge oh man absolutely yeah. incredible uh he did a gap yeah, he did a great job with that with the scene ian mckellen too as gandalf here oh i mean just knocked out of the park you couldn't have done that scene any better even though i do think he has taken a liberty yeah. with the description of the balrog here um and actually but i think you know i was just gonna say real quick um i think maybe that's important for us to point out to our to our listeners um we uh you know we're not snobs in the sense of you know oh, only, mm, only yes. the, the books are good and you must you must not enjoy um you know uh this this work in any way but the original you know which is all hogwash you know there are plenty of people who you know work with I mean, Tolkien himself, like, extended right, yeah. myth. That's what he did, right? So I, I love um, competing. I mean, competing is a harsh word, but I love various adaptations of the Tolkien's work. I love seeing other people's spin on it and take on it, and I think there's plenty of room for that. And um, I was actually going to bring up, too, though, though that um, a more accurate Balrog might actually come from the, the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings movie. Have you seen this? The cartoon? Yeah. Yeah. It's garbage. As a movie. <laughs> it's a delight to watch. No, no, no. Absolute garbage. <laughs> like, it's a fascinating as sort of this relic of its time. And it's interesting to see other people's interpretation of Tolkien, but it's such a bad movie that most of it is legitimately unwatchable. I'm not even kidding. But I will say his Balrog is probably more like accurate. And if you're interested in seeing what maybe a slightly more accurate Balrog would have looked like, I guess you can watch Bakshi's. I guess everything else, well, cause everything <laughs> movie is so bad. I can't even. Oh my god, it's just the worst. Um, it's a fun drinking game. Yeah, it is cool to see other people's interpretations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so should we, should we get the uh elephant in the room? Oh, the wings. Yeah, I just I want to put it out there since we're talking to the audience a lot. Yeah, um, we do not give a shit. <laughs> not at <laughs> <What>? all. <laughs> But for the sake of putting it out there, yeah. All right, Charlie in the corner of, of anti wings. I'm a yeah. I'm pro wings. Here, let's let's hear it. All right, let's. Hear it. So when I say anti wings, what I mean is like physical wings. 
maybe he can use the shadows. Maybe he can manipulate shadows to be wings, but he doesn't have physical leathery wings or f- whatever. So that would be my take. And I just, because I, I think if he did, Tolkien would not have described the shadow reaching out about him like two vast wings because that that would be a weird descriptor to use for something that, it would just be confusing to use for something that already has wings right um like yeah. if i was describing you pip and i said oh the headphones sat on his head like a, <laughs> like a tousled head of hair it would be kind of weird because you're like, well, I mean, I also just have hair. Like, are you sure you're seeing the headphones? Are you seeing my hair? Like, I don't know. It just would be kind yeah. of weird, right? Like, wouldn't I say, oh, the headphones are on his head like a hat or a crown or something that is not currently on your head? I don't know. Like, that would make much more sense to me. So, yeah, that's that's just my take on it. As a result, I think I'm on team no wing. And, and um, so that means I also then think that when he says that uh, his wings – were spread from wall to wall it's just referring back to the shadows and i'm willing to go with the idea and i kind of like the idea that the barwag can manipulate shadows to create wings and use them as wings but that's as far as i'm willing to go with it well i think you make some excellent points um i myself i, I would consider myself a wing apologist yeah um i i do also agree that it, the use of the word you know like wings and then describing the wings you know you know, the wing spread from, from wall to wall, uh, clearly metaphorical. But since I am interpreting the Balrog as not a physical creature, whether or not he has physical wings to me is irrelevant. If he has things that are like wings, it's in essence the same thing as him having wings because he is just something that is like other things, you know, being reflected in the physical world. I mean, that's basically what I'm saying so, too, though. So I guess yeah. in the end... I guess we're both right. God, I hate that. um but you know what i really also just do not care at all no let's let's move on we're running out of time (laughs) so (laughs) charlie what should this chapter uh rate the chapter's title how good is this i like this chapter title i mentioned this last episode it's a good title it's mysterious when you first read it you're like oh my gosh what is what is the bridge of kazad doom and i like that it's it's gotta it's understated Right, relative to what happens, uh, it's not chat, you know, titled "Death of a Great Wizard" or something like this. It's <laughs> it's a very understated, I, classy. So how many how many rings out of ten? Uh, I guess eight eight rings out of ten. It's Excellent. close to being it's close to being perfect, but uh, and I'm not sure how I'd improve it necessarily. But I mean, it's just it's missing the final thing to put it over the edge for like a perfect chapter title. But um, but pretty good. One of the best so far. Eight out of ten. I'm actually trying to think. Now I'm looking through the list though to see what is. <laughs> oh, I there is one. Oh, we're gonna get book three has a perfect chapter title, I think. So bear oh, with. Oh no, us. book two does too. I've forgotten about this. Book two, chapter ten. Be excited. Perfect chapter title. Book four, chapter ten. Also classic. Yeah. Okay. We got a. We got a few. We got a few. That will come. Okay. All right. Favorite line. What do you got? Um, actually, this chapter I don't have a favorite line, so I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it back to you. All right, favorite line for me: Gandalf on the bridge confronting the Balrog. You cannot pass, he said. The orcs stood still, and a dead silence fell. I am a servant of the Secret Fire, wielder of the Flame of Honor. You cannot pass. 
The dark fire will not avail you, Flame of Udun. Go back to the shadow. You cannot pass. Uh, I mean, I'm saying it with no comment. There are some interesting things you can read about this line as far as its depth. I think Tolkien Professor does a bunch of bits on this. Um, if you can go That's through Corey his Olsen. stuff. Corey Olsen, sure. yeah. He's got a lot to say about that line. I'm not versed enough in my lore for Middle-earth to get into those details, but it's got a nice flowery, poetic ring to it. I like the repetition of you cannot pass. Like That's Gandalf's order to him. You cannot pass. He just keeps saying it. Uh, really heightens the suspense. And yeah. Well, excellent line. Well chosen. Well, all right. Uh, that does it for us for chapter five, book two, episode 17. Join us next time for Lothlorien. <laughs>